Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there, my wise friends, and welcome to episode 46 of Collective Wisdom, which I'm very happy to say I'm recording from sunny Singapore. And it's been such a treat to reconnect with friends, many of whom I haven't seen for almost two years now. Health and well-being are definitely front of mind again this week as news emerged of the new Omicron variant of COVID-19 virus. It's still very unclear at this point just what an impact it will have, but a reminder to us all that when our health is threatened, everything else becomes secondary. This is something that my guest today, Ian Berry, has had to deal with for most of his adult life as he was diagnosed with a melanoma when he was in his early 20s. Ian was told by his surgeon at the time that his capacity to survive the threat that it posed would largely be affected by his attitude and that adopting an attitude of gratitude would go a long way to help. As Ian's now in his late 60s, I think we can safely say it's had the desired effect so far. Sometimes it just pays to be playful, give compliments to yourself and to others, and to find something to be grateful for, even when the chips are down. For me today, I'm simply grateful to have met Ian and had the pleasure of his company for this episode. And if, after listening to him, you feel the same way, do reach out to him on LinkedIn or via his website, as I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. So joining me today, all the way from Melbourne, Australia, I have my friend and fellow author from our Enough Collaborative Book Project, Ian Berry. Ian is a natural fit for collective wisdom, as he's also the author of Changing What's Normal and his most recent book, Heart Leadership, Become the Wise Leader You Want to Be. He's also the founder of Wise Leaders Community and Workshops that leads peer group sessions dedicated to supporting the practice of wise leadership by enhancing human connection and embracing possibility. Since 1990, Ian has worked as a storyteller, conversationalist and mentor for more than a thousand leaders in over 40 countries. Over the course of his 30 year professional speaking career, he's given more than 3,000 presentations. Through his work, he helps purpose-driven business owners and leaders and executives in corporations to unearth, magnify, and enhance their true essence or unique personal wisdom. His contribution to our book is entitled, Don't Die With Your Music Locked Inside You. And in it, he tells the story of how overcoming a life-threatening melanoma in his early 20s caused him to cross paths with a surgeon who not only saved his life at the time, but also set him on a journey of discovering his own unique strengths and talents, and what has since become his life's work to inspire other people to do the same. Or to quote Stephen Farber in his book, The Radical Leap, doing what you love in the service of people who love what you do. So Ian, a warm, warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And it's a real pleasure to have you here. 
Thank you so much, Kat. I'm I'm excited by the opportunity to share with you and and with your audience. So I'm I've um, listened to a number of the previous episodes and I feel right at home. Oh, jolly good. Well, as I say, you're a, you're a perfect fit, and you've also got that element of, you know, you are really are a heart centered leader, um, a kind leader. I think that is the it's the human side of you that really. Um, I'm sure is part of the the, the appeal when people get together and, and join you in those groups. It wasn't always the case, I, I must I must say, and I think I'm. It's fair to say I'm still a work in progress. Is that right? Well, you know, that's. I think that's the other thing I love about your attitude, Ian, is is that you're always open minded and ready to learn from other people. You know, there's there's been a consistent. We're part of the right community, the right company community, and it's that element of I have a contribution to make, but I'm equally good at listening and hearing other people's perspective and taking that on board. That that real sort of curiosity um, base, which which is at the heart of a lot of what you do. And I think it, I think you know I've discovered that over time that curiosity. Um, is a, is a key to wisdom. Yeah, and I think I think I was born curious. There you go. So so it's interesting that you were saying you haven't you you weren't always that sort of human heart centered person. Where do you think the the change happened? Look, I, I think in my in my corporate career, I had a seventeen year corporate career in in financial services, and I was fortunate in two ways. I learnt how to run a profit business, and I worked for a you know the most of the, I worked for four corporations in that seventeen eighteen year period, and it's fair to say that they were about the money, right? But but one of them in particular was also very good at at training people in how to be they called it managers in those i'm talking the early 70s so, so mm, it's, mm. it's it's last century <laughs> <laughs> it is it really is um and and so i learned um i had some very good teachers my first boss was all about the money but he also had a way about him with people mm. my, my second boss was all about the the money and terrible with people and my third boss i actually had to try and find him he he, he got on drugs and went missing which you believe oh my goodness and, and part of my role as a new employee in that in that organization i think i'd only been there about a month was to try and find this guy who'd shot who'd got, gone missing oh so God. i had this i had this experience of two very bad bosses and then my fourth boss was all about the money and all about himself but he was a very good teacher of, of, you know, people skills, if you like. And so I had this grounding and, and eventually I, when I became a manager myself and then an executive, you know, from there on in, I always received good feedback for my training and learning and development um, abilities and skills. In fact, I won, I won awards for, for my contribution in those areas. And I think that gave me a grounding that it was all about people Mm. But there was this hard edge that it was also about the money. And it wasn't till I had a couple of burnouts um, and I left that company I've just mentioned where I ended up staying for 11 years and gave me very good grounding. 
I had a bit of a burnout. My wife and I bought a general store in the in the Brossa Valley, the, the great wine region in Australia. Oh, yeah, I know um, that. Yeah, yeah. It was a total disaster. I was a shopkeeper from hell. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I probably, I'm probably the worst shopkeeper has ever been born. And it was sort of circumstantial. The original plan was my wife and, and our partner's wife, they were going to work the, st- the shop and I was going to do a bit of consulting. I don't, I'm not really sure. It was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a bad decision and it ended up being a disaster. And I then went back into the corporate world. I basically went to a new company. I had to start again, but because of my previous experience, I, I, I rose the ranks pretty well and, and I was back in an executive role within about 18 months. But I was very unhappy with it being all about the money. Mm. And I'd been told a lie by my employers that, you know, certain things were going to happen in my career that were never really actually going to happen. They were using me. Right. And, and then a circumstance occurred where I had some HR people reporting to me and we were, we were employing these outside consultants who I didn't think were doing a very good job in, our, in the leadership development space. And one of the HR people said to me in a, in a bit of a huff, well, why don't you do it then? <laughs> and so... Famous last words. In, in an arrogant response, I said, right, I will. And so I planned a two-day leadership development program for the 24 people who reported to me in those days and 16 other sort of, you know, leading, leading people. Mm. I had the best two. I had the best two days I think I'd ever had in my life. Wow! And what I began to discover, I didn't know it then, but I began to find my essence. I was in my early thirties. I'd been the, the kind of the golden haired boy in in so many ways, but this was the first time I really got an insight into my essence. And yeah. it was around it was around this this ability. I didn't I didn't know this then, but I had a, I had a presence with people. And I, I had an innate ability to hold space where people were able to, you know, be curious and creative. I, I, I wouldn't have described it that way then. I've since learned a lot about yeah, it. Yeah. But just that um, sense of um, w- when you say you, you had the best two days of your life, when you go into that sort of this this feels easy there's a sense of flow i'm doing the things that i'm really good at doing that's that's what it sounds like that that workshop it was kind of one of those things and when i actually look back back on it it probably wasn't i wasn't all that good then because i was new at doing that work but i i felt something in my heart yeah that took me took me back to that that moment with the doctor who who used this expression don't die with your music locked in you. So this is a decade on from that experience. And I was still trying to work out what he actually meant. Yeah, and it's interesting because, I mean, just, just for those people who obviously this is, this is alluding to your, the, the, the chapter of your book where you write about one of the biggest challenges you faced in your life is being diagnosed with a melanoma in your early 20s yes. and meeting this Dr. Neri who... Yes as well as being a brilliant surgeon by the sounds of it, also shared this wisdom with you, you know, having faced, I think you said it was, there was a chance, a one in five chance of survival of this operation. And I guess that does bring you up close to the reality, especially at that age that, you know, this this is a big serious thing. 
Well, he, t- yeah. he told my wife, my wife Karen and I, he told us something that's, that scared the hell out of us. You know, he said that, you know, about 20% of the equation for success was in his hands and 80% was in my attitude, which scared us to death. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's so incredible. And, and I love the, the way you talk about this attitude of gratitude that he, he then said to you, you know, I know, I know mantra is, is um, I think it's Sanskrit for mind tool. And, and it was Dr. Neri that gave you that, that sort of idea of having a mantra, which you said you then said to yourself every morning in the mirror. Yeah, he wanted me to say it out loud, and and I the first time I did it, I thought this is madness. This is not going to work, and so I called him up and I said, "Are you sure this is going to work?" Yeah. Because what I what I didn't know then, and I and I I did persevere, and I've been persevering ever since. Because what what I came to discover is that when we're grateful for what we've got, we can have more of what we want. Brilliant. Yeah. I didn't know that yeah. then. I didn't know that it wasn't the affirmation that was the beginning of what became a disposition. And so really whatever whatever has happened to myself and my wife and and, and really our, our kids have got this same approach because they were raised with it. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever, whatever happens, we need to be grateful for it even if it's bad. Yeah. Now I'm not yeah. saying I don't want anyone to get the impression that this is easy because it's not easy. And so, and sometimes it's it's so hard that we you know we we don't actually make it. You know, we we fall off the off the wagon or we slip, slip up or whatever, but it always keeps coming back that when gratitude is a disposition so Attitude for me is a disposition. It's it's more than an attitude. It's actually a way of life, and it's one we can choose. You know, that's what we get to and, choose, and we cho- and we choose it. Yeah, we yeah. we get to choose yeah. it. And and I guess the other thing that that uh, Dr. Neary introduced me to at the time, and I've since been blessed in a thousand different ways, and that's become a second part of my philosophy, if you like, and that is the power of possibility. Yeah. You know, we the scientists tell us that we live in a world of infinite possibility. I know that's true in my heart because whatever happens to us in life, there's always a way. There's always a possibility. Yeah. That's incredible. And the moment we the moment we examine possibility, of course we see another possibility and it's endless. And so these these two things, an attitude of gratitude and believing in possibility, I would say, have become the two things that underpin life. They're actually they're more important than any challenge or any or any opportunity for that matter, because they they they're a central philosophy. They underpin everything else. Well, it's interesting you say that. You know, I I think it's borne out certainly borne out to be true for you that this even if you were cynical or a bit skeptical about it at the beginning, you just adopted it. You, you said, well, I'm going to give it a go on the, on the sound advice from this surgeon. And 44, as you say, 44 years later, here you are still managing to manage this melanoma. You know, it's, 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 it's been a, a, a constant theme in your life. I think it's not something that's gone away completely, but no. you have, you have managed to, 
bring yourself to a point where I think it's fair to say that you would almost say you're grateful for having had that experience, you know, for being introduced to Dr. Neri in the first place and for, for that experience being responsible for taking you on the journey that you've subsequently gone on. It's, it's in a way become part of my persona and what I've had mm. to do recently because recent treatment has changed, has been a game changer where at the moment the melanoma is dormant and I've been through a bit of a journey, as you know, with immunotherapy and radiotherapy, including spending a couple of weeks in hospital where my whole system crashed. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, but even, in, even in that time, and for three or four days, you know, I was not in a good place physically. But in that time... I was able to really put on automatic, if you like, these this attitude, this awareness of possibility, and, and also another thing I learned from the good the good doctor was about a meditative a meditation practice. I mean, he was at, he was of the Eastern philosophy. Yeah, yeah. When he first talked to me about meditation, I couldn't spell it, <laughs> but but I've become a practitioner, and I've developed my own way of meditating. And when I was in a physically a bad place in hospital for those three or four days, those sort of things were on on autopilot, and and they gave me the the space, you know, mentally to try yeah. and uh, deal with what what I was facing physically. And, and I th I think these these are the kind of things that that um, which is why I graduated over time into this this wisdom or wise leadership space um mm. i've been dealing with leaders for you know since my early 20s so i've been in this leadership development space for you know three quarters of my life and i've noticed something over the over the years is that very few leaders are wise most people are following a formula they're, they're, they're doing a leadership style that they learn in some course somewhere or some profiling tool or whatever. Not that those things can't be valuable. Yeah. But, but very few people actually see and know and understand internally that leadership is a way of life. It's not a thing you do. It's and actually not something a way you follow. Of, so what you're alluding, because I'd be really interested to dig into that. So what, what does wisdom mean for you? Because it's, it's this idea that it comes from inside of yourself. I, I think it's applying what you know. I mean, Stephen Covey put it um, very nicely. He said, no and not to do is really not to know. Mm, that's really So we, we know lots of things. It's like, you know, I knew about attitude, but I didn't really live it. Yeah. That took 25 years and is still something I'm working on. Uh, possibility is something I learnt about and I've studied it for most of my life, but I still don't really get it all. You know, I'm still a student. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still curious about it. I'm still in awe, awe of it. And you know, still like discovering, little... still discovering elements of it, I imagine. And, and I hope that I never lose that. You know, I haven't, I haven't worked it out. I'm still working on it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm blessed that I'm able to work with that I'm married to someone and I have kids and friends and family and I I have clients that you know we're all in this space. One of the reasons I love you and the right company is that we're we're in this same space, you know, we yeah. 
we, we haven't arrived, we're still working on it. No, absolutely. And I think for me, the philosophy is that mastery isn't when you get to the point where you say, right, I'm done with that. I've, I've, I've done everything I can do. I'm, I'm a master of whatever it is you choose to set out to, to accomplish. It is actually the process of getting better bit by bit, you know, just by consistently yeah. showing up, by practicing, by putting things into, into practice. Um, and that is, that's where I get my sense of fulfillment or my sense of enjoyment my sense of purpose is by yeah choosing what it is you want to go and try and master and then setting off to do it but not it's not about reaching the point where you say oh yeah i'm i'm the best at this now it's really about those those sort of digging into those gifts and talents that you have quite quite innately and seeing where they take you yeah and and you know, as I say, it's it's a it's a work in process, and I think one of the reasons that I'm I'm still alive and I plan to live a lot longer yet, longer yet. <laughs> I do hope that's going to be the case. Yeah, is is that I've got this little boy, little child fascination with the things that we're talking about, mm. and and there's there's always a nuance, there's always something different around the corner, um, and it's like. Um, this is how I'm seeing it currently, and I'm I'm working with this at the moment. Albert Einstein said, "Life is a miracle," and mm -hmm. I've always been drawn to that statement, and I've kind of graduated from that statement, and I see life as a gift. It's like a present, and I think you and you and I and others that are on this on this trail, we're, we're unwrapping that present every day, and we keep unwrapping and we keep unwrapping and there's more and there's more yeah and that for me is about that's where abundance this idea of when you when you come at everything from a place of there's always going to be enough that's where you start to sense this feeling of abundance that there's there's yeah. plenty to go around and there's there's always going to be you know more possibility and more opportunity yeah that's that's really true but i love that you start from that place of life is a, a miracle and i think when you look at the the chances of us being here, you know, in terms of our proximity to the sun and then the actual, just, just all of those chances when you, when you put them, I've heard it. Yeah. I don't know the exact figure, but it's one in a billion, you know, one in, in billions that you're actually here today having this conversation, which I find remarkable. Yes, I do too. And it's even like when I, I look, when I look out the window here, I can't show you because of the sun glare, but I look out the window and we've got cypress trees that, go around the, the side and the back of our property. And every morning when I look out the window and I see those trees that are, that are about 40 years old, 30, 40 years old, they're, they're living beings just like the rest of nature. And that every day, my wife and I walk daily, we see something most days that we didn't see yesterday. Yeah, yeah. But, na but nature's kind of just going along. And yes, we're, we're a one in a billion chance to be part of that. But the other interesting thing, which I discovered when I was researching the Changing What's Normal book, is that there are somewhere between 80 to 100 billion people who've had that one in a billion chance to walk the earth. Yeah. But there's never been a duplicate. You and I and everyone else are one of a kinds. Now, when I, when I really got that, 
in my life, I realized that life can't help but not be a miracle because every day we are meeting other one of a kinds. Yeah, it's so true. So true. And and that really is for me at the crux of, you know, the heart of what you do with your work is is helping people see that that uniqueness that is them and and the possibility that's within them. Now, I love in your in in the chapter that you you use the um, the acronym music to help people to sort of really explore that. Um, so if you if if it's M is for meaning, and U is for what's unusual about yourself. You know what what gives you meaning. What do you find unusual about yourself? S is for special. What do you, you know, what's special about you? What's unique about you? I is for inspirational. What what inspires you and what do you what do you inspire in other people? And then C is that curiosity, which is at the foundation of pretty much everything you do. What makes yes. you curious? And I, I think that that what I love about your chapter is it's got so much instructional. Here's here's some of the ways that you can actually start exploring this for yourself as well as telling your own story. Yeah, one of the things I say is what makes your heart sing. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting and that it, it was 10 years in that you, you know, after you had that conversation with Dr. Neri, that you kind of fell upon something that really sounds like it made your heart sing, you know, that two-day workshop. Yeah, exactly. Now, I was kind of getting there because I was running in-house things and I was doing my own thing as a leader. So it wasn't the first time I'd ever ran a workshop. But it was kind of the moment, you know, I, I call them defining moments where I, I made a, you know, an unconscious decision that day that I was going to do this for the rest of my life. Mm. Which is eventually what, what led me to the speaking, um, you know, um, the place of speaking. My mother used to say, he can talk under, underwater with a mouthful of marbles. <laughs> and, and she told people, in, in a way that she was kind of proud of it. So I had the gift of the gab, as it were, um, but I, I didn't realise until, I think you, you, we might, now is a good time to talk about this random act of kindness, perhaps, because yeah, there was a yeah. moment, there was a moment where I didn't see it as, a, as a, an act of kindness at the time, but... Oh, absolutely. I, do, do tell that story, yeah. It kind of fits with where we're, we are in our conversation at the moment. but And so I had the gift of the gab, and I, I'd got quite good at, you know, leading groups and running workshops. And when I left the corporate world and went, and went out on my own, I really struggled initially. You know, it was the big shift from having secretaries and unlimited expense accounts and all that to working in your bedrooms, a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wasn't going all that well in the first, you know, little, little while. And a colleague of mine said, you've got the gift of the gab, just go and hire a, hire a room, invite people, do your thing, and you'll be right. Mm. And so I did that. Um, I think we, we probably invested most of the, the money we had at the time in, in that room and that process. You know, we, we weren't mm. in a good place in those early days. And I, I, had, I ran this three-hour workshop. Believe it or not, I got most of the people in the, in the room by getting the phone book out and just calling people at random, something you would never do today, but 
back in 1990, it, it, it seemed to work. I think about 40 of the 60 people I called turned up. And at the, the mid the mid break, 90 minutes in, I thought I was going really well. I thought I was absolutely nailing it. And this, so I'm in my uh, mid thirties, a guy who's, I'm, I'll be 68 next month. So a guy who was about my age then pulled me aside at the break and he said, can I have a word with your son? And I went, sure. And he took me away from the group. And he says to me, you're obviously a very, very smart young man. And I said, well, you know, thank you very much. And I was very appreciative. And he said, it's a bloody shame you're not showing it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. So what did you say? Well, I was a bit speechless. I said, what do you mean? And I was a bit affronted as well. Yeah. He said, no one wants to know what's in your head. No one knows to know how successful you've been. What we want to hear is stories from your heart. Wow. And I'd suggest you go back in there and tell some stories from your heart. So true, though, isn't it? That's a random act of kindness because I wasn't doing that then. I was really being, you know, I've been successful and if you do these things, you will be too and no one, no one wants to know that. Yeah. I was, ignorant, I was ignorant of that. And that was, of course, part of the reason why I wasn't being successful. Well, it's, it's kind of the ego leading. It's like here's all the things that I want to show you but actually not really trusting your own intuition and wisdom. No, and, and I hadn't really realised, and I've, I've needed a lot of reminding about this over the years, that I was born to tell stories. Right, interesting. And I didn't really get, get that at that time. And as I say, I've had to be reminded of this quite a few times because, you, you know, you float off and I think, you you know, you, you sort of get interested, you, you, you get caught up in your own expertise yeah. and you forget what's at the heart of it yeah because when you tell us i mean and you know this you you coach people in storytelling but when, when you when you tell a story from your heart that resonates with people in their heart magic happens definitely and it's the thing that people take away with them you know so you could give them all the facts and the figures and the and the i've been here and i've learned this and all the procedures but actually what people will remember is if you tell it in in like like you've told with dr neri you know they'll remember the story about this guy and he had this melanoma and he met this really interesting doctor who told him and here's the magic thing you know that's that's what we remember yeah, um, and, and and so you know i was in the in that moment i mean that Bless his heart, that guy. He 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 did hire me. Well, there you go. And, and that you know that story in itself, that that moment where actually, as you said, it wasn't. It didn't seem very kind at the time, and yet it was probably one of the kindest things somebody could have done for you. That's how that's how I see it. And and so I then went to you know grow grow from there. And eventually, you know, I discovered the the Professional Speaking Association here in Australia, where I, I met a guy by the name of David Griggs, who is a legendary speaking coach in this part of the world. And we became friends, we're still friends, and, and he was my, my early um, coach, where he taught me the things that I, I didn't really know innately mm. about stage presence and things like that. I was blessed. My wife has a background in the theatre. And so 
she knew all of the various things, but I didn't really get innately how to work with an audience. Yeah. Which is which is which is what I learned from David. And of course the, the key is still telling stories, but it's it's telling stories in a way that other people can feel like they're in the story. And and you don't need to do a lot of how-toing in the in the keynote speaking arena because the story carries its own weight. Now, I've since learned that that's how that's a key to indigenous wisdom. Mm. You look at the, the Aboriginal people here in Australia, you look at the Native Americans, you look at indigenous people anywhere in the world, they have known this wisdom about stories since the beginning. And okay. we, we in the West, we try, we try to beat it out of them or, you know, we, or whatever. But the truth remains that when you tell a story, people, people work out how they're going to use that story themselves. And, of course, that's the essence of, of presenting keynotes. Workshops are a little different because you do some somehow. But I found throughout my my career, and I was fortunate that, uh, as Daniel Pink says, everything is timing. Yeah. So I was fortunate in the 90s here in Australia, there was a real struggle with leadership. And there was a thing called the Carpen Report that came out and basically said Australian leaders aren't very good. Wow. And it was around it was around that time that I created a presentation called What Real Leaders Do and Fake Ones Don't. And it's still my most popular presentation and it, it takes up about half of my overall presentations were on that topic. And that lasted for about a decade. So I was fortunate I had a zeitgeist moment in this country, which eventually moved to other countries. Yeah. Um, now we could spend all day talking about the ins and outs of that, but essentially, I was I was in the right place at the right time, because I also became a leader in the professional speaking industry here in Australia. I eventually became the Australian president, and I learned I learned a lot about the business of speaking as much as the craft of speaking, and so I was in this space where everything you know worked together, particularly for a, about a ten year period. And then um, that emerged into the Changing What's Normal book, which gave me a bit more sort of longevity. So I did, I did probably three quarters of my presentations over about a 15-year period. Wow. So I'm still intrigued, though. In that moment when this guy comes up to you and says, you know, you're not actually hitting the spot here, were you able to turn it around for the second half of that workshop? Or, I, was. Or... I was. And I told a story that I've since probably told a couple of thousand times, it became a signature story, as we call it, in the speaking business. Um, and it's a story that um, got requested as, as, as it happens. Um, people that used to hire me in my speaking days hired me to tell stories, not for any other reason. And I remember once... Um, I did a, an organisation, I did their conference three years in a row and I didn't tell this particular story on the third occasion and they were really annoyed with me because, and I was arrogant thinking, well, I've already heard it twice before, but as the, the person that hired me said, there were, there were 55 people in the room who'd never seen you before, which was a real lesson in 
in humility and again a reminder that's the story that matters and it was it was also uh, one of those periods where i realized through watching literally thousands of speakers and mixing with you know some people who are absolutely brilliant and some people who aren't so good and a lot of egos mm, mm. I, was, I was able to see the difference between the best and the rest yeah and that's the other thing is is being in that space and actually learning from other people and 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 then putting into practice what you see because it's all very well the notional theoretical idea of something but i think there's nothing better than actually then trying to implement it yourself really trying to do do the exercises you know it, it's all very well reading about how to find your essence but you do need to sit down and actually write some answers to those questions and start to think about what's inside and, and you. There, are, there are kind of little things like my essence is about holding space and i remember one time at um a very famous speaker who I won't mention because I don't, I don't want to name drop, but this guy is a legend in the in the business. And we were on the same program one time and he said to me, you've got a stage presence that's quite unbelievable. Mm. And that was a that was a learned thing. Um, David, my coach, he, he called it planned spontaneity. So there was a lot of rehearsal. I've not been a a can speaker like you would find most american speakers you stop them at 11 minutes and they'll be where they were yesterday i'm not that kind of speaker it works for some people but it doesn't work for me right but i but i i have practiced and rehearsed my stories and the use of the stage so that when i'm out there i'm in the moment i don't have to worry about the methodology yeah yeah and, and that gives and you I this sort of inner confidence i guess as well knowing that you well it does I mean, David's, David said to me, for example, you know, you, you should tell stories from a certain place on the stage and you should always tell stories from there and you should make a point from a different place and when you're moving from one place to the other, you shouldn't speak. Now, this is a technique. Yeah. But I became known for the pause and over time I stretched it. I had another coach, Max Dixon, who used to say, you've got to go a beat beyond. And so I went a beat beyond and then some, and it became part of my, you know, performance. Yeah. But it also became a part of what people remembered. Some people would say there was, there was an eerie silence, which there, there often was. So the story was told and then I'd move to the middle of, of the stage or the middle of the room to make the point but I'd often wait quite a while. And over, over time, you would see, you know, audiences move in with you because they, they want to know what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the, the, sto the story has stirred them in their deepest parts of their being. Yeah. And so, but, but I think these things are, you're always, um, I have a great friend, Glenn Capelli, um, who is, you know, a legend in the methodology space. And I think there are very few people who present regularly who get that it's about methodology. But it's the same thing that I'm, I'm explaining in my attitude to life, an attitude of gratitude and the power of possibility and meditation. They're a methodology. They're, yeah. they're things, that, things that keep us grounded. So that even when all hell breaks loose and things don't go according to plan, we're able to get to find a way. You've got something to lean on. 
Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. So what would you say is your, your signature story? Well, I guess there are, there are three, but probably one that which relates to the special part of the music acronym. When I was a kid, my parents were very religious. And so every Sunday you, you, you'd hear the words that you're a sinner. Oh. Which I, um, I rejected completely. And at school, I didn't, I was not, I was bored out of my brains at school. And so the words that I heard regularly at school were stupid. I actually thought at one stage that my middle name was stupid. <laughs> So I had these two things going on, sinner, stupid. Yeah. But then on Sundays, I'd go to my grandma's house. She, they, they were a mile from, from where we lived. And she'd often look across the table and she'd point at one of the grandchildren. And she'd say, you're special. Now, I didn't really believe it until towards the, my, my, my very first job. I, I managed to scrape through high school. My last report card read, Ian has a sense of humour. Unfortunately, it didn't say anything else. And so I couldn't really get a job. I relied on, on uh, uh, family to get me a job in, in a construction firm where I was employed as a brickies labourer. I used to throw bricks all day. I was bored out of my brains, but it kept me fit as a young man to play sport, which was really my only interest in, in those days. And then... I graduated to learning how to paint as a, as in a, you know, a house painter. And believe it or not, I got a, I, the, my boss got me a part of my job was to paint the church where I heard all those times you're a sinner. Yeah. And as I was painting that church, I did think about defacing it as much as possible. I didn't, <laughs> but I thought about it. And in those days of non-mobile phones, Mrs. Murray, who was a friend of my mother, she lived over the road from the church and she, came over one day to say that Noel, who was another friend of the family, he worked for the Commonwealth Employment Service in those days. They were the only recruitment agency. And he'd got me this interview with a finance company. And yet, you, people can't see me, but I have a beard today. But in those days, I had a very long beard. I have no hair, but I had very long hair in those days. And Noel's recommendation was get your mum, get a suit, shave off your beard, get your hair cut, look reasonable, do your best. Wow. And so I did that. The interview lasted maybe three minutes. And the guy says, there's no way I could give you a job, son. And in that moment, because I just thought in that moment, I said, mate, I'm not going to get on my hands and knees and beg you, but if you give me a job, I promise you I won't let you down. And he stuck out his hand and he, he said, you're hired. Even surprised him. <laughs> Two days later, I start my job in my new suit. The guy who hired me turned out to be my boss. And he says to me, he said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I probably made a mistake. But in that moment the other day, I just thought you might be special. And so I decided to give you a shot. And so my grandmother was right, eh? Yeah, she was. Gosh, gosh. He and became my first mentor. And one day, about four years later, I became his boss. But it was that journey, that opportunity. And so when I tell that story, 
everyone feels it in their own way. Because as I say to people, I've, I've been beginning my presentations for a very long time now. I begin with the words, what I say is important, but nowhere near as important as what you hear yourself say to yourself and who you become and what you do next. And that's been my signature now for 25 years. And I still, I still believe that, but I've told that story many times and I've had people come to me years later to say, I don't remember where it was, but I remember the story you told and I decided that I was special that day and my life's never been the same since. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the power of, of stories, but it's also, I think, the truth of what we take in. Because for, for, for all those first years of my life, I thought I was a sinner and I thought I was stupid. I didn't really hear the positive message mm, mm. until it got reinforced through happenstance. Um, but that was another yeah. lesson that, Anything's possible. I didn't know that then either, but you know, I mean, I think all these things that happen to us in our lives, they're all building blocks that lead us to being who we are. Yeah. And and of course, that was again, I didn't know it then, but but that was about also holding space. I do have a presence. I was born with it. Yeah. And then you used it on instinct almost. I use it on instinct. I've learned to use it as a professional speaker. I've learned to use it as a, a, a person. That, nowadays, I host conversations with small groups. I don't do yeah. the, the presentations much anymore. But but it's but the that, same that story idea. is almost an example of you using it for the first time, just just in order to to move you forward. You know, it's it's, it's a really good example of just a moment in time that changes everything. Yes, and you know, when you think about songs, you know, there's there's one moment in time is a, is a song that comes to mind. Well, that's interesting because, yeah, I was about to bring us on to it. So how much, how much does music play a part in your life? Um, it, it has played a major part. I played in bands when I was a teenager. Oh, wow. Wow. I've been a, I've been a guitar player since I was 12. Oh, gosh. And, and rec recently I've... I've um, rediscovered it a little bit. My singing voice went, disappeared for about 15 years, but it's, it's, it's come back in a different way. And so I'm, I'm exploring that again at the moment. It's just that one of these side effects is I can't play properly at the moment, but I, I, I did get back to it a month ago and I'll get back to it again because it's been a big part of my life. And when I was in hospital, um, I had my, my, my phone and my headphones and I listened to Spotify. At one stage, I had such a bad rash that the only way I could cope with it was to stay as still as possible. Mm. And one way I did that was to meditate using music. Wow. And so I had the headphones in and I'd often just be listening to songs for, you know, a couple of hours in, in one stretch. And there are, num there are a number of songs that sort of, old favourites, but also reminders. One in particular, which I'd say is the song that probably is, my, is a fallback when I'm thinking possibility but struggling to find it. Mm -hmm. I play this song and when I'm able, I would, I would play it on the guitar for you. But it's the Joe Cocker, Jennifer Warnes, Up Where We Belong song. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And... 
there are particular words in it that have a lot of resonance for me. I've I've been a um, I've been in wonder of eagles since I was a child, and so the mention of eagles. Um, and, and there's a story, I haven't got time to tell it today, but there's a story about eagles that I tell that was a, a profound impact on me that happened um, a, a, about 20 years ago that's still impacting me today. Yeah. But in the song it says, love lifts us up where we belong, where the eagles cry on a mountain high. Love lifts us up where we belong. And, th and these are the, the, the lines that inspire me the most. Far from the world we know where the clear winds blow. Mm. And so when, when I get into a meditative state of being far from the world below, up where the eagles cry, that's my most creative space. Wow. And I get there because I've meditated for a long time I have this attitude of gratitude and I believe in possibility. So those grounding things once again, yeah. but those words far from the world below where the clear winds blow, that's the place when I'm really struggling to believe in possibility, to, to find the next way forward on the path, I play that song myself or I listen to it on Spotify or whatever method. And yeah, and it's, quickly... I mean, it's amazing that you therefore have that capacity. You know, you can you can play that song, and 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 it does act as a sort of reminder or a or a comfort, I guess. You know, when when things are tough, well, it's become a bit of an anchor. Mm. And 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 I think you know, music music has been an anchor when I think about it for most of my my wife and I sing in the car. <laughs> and, we, and, we, and we have done all of our lives. Yeah. Sometimes we play and listen, but mostly we just, you know, sing along. It, it's a, a way of, of dealing with the time. It's a way of enjoying each other's company and so on. Um, and so songs and music in general have played a major part in, in our lives. I mean, my theme song for a very long time was This Is The Moment. Yeah, and it is those those crucial moments, and I think that's what you're very good at doing is telling stories about those those pivotal moments in your life that have made a real difference. So it must have made a real impact on you when you know there was one of the calls about the book that you weren't able to make because you weren't very well. I think you were in hospital at the time, and one of the other contributors, Con Christensen, pulled a pulled a card for you from one of her. I think she has. She has some sort of, I, I, don't, I don't even know which cards it was, but she pulled this card and it was the eagle symbol Yes. that came out. And I just think that having heard this story, that is so, that must have meant a lot when she, when she sent you that message. It was quite extraordinary because it was coming at, at me from different angles in that moment. And it, and it led to, to, I think, which probably is another anchor or another part of my disposition. And that is that we can't do this alone. Yeah. We, ne we need other people. And I felt such a strength that other people were, you know, they were there for me. I mean, some people said we're praying for you. And that's how some people yeah. do it. But do we were it. definitely talking about you and how much you I'm grateful for people's prayers. 
Yeah, yeah. There are other, there are other people who, who had different ways. For Con, it was, you know, doing a card, whatever sort of card it was. But, and people were letting me know mm, mm. in different ways. Um, and, you know, I had some conversations with my, my daughter and my son. I had some conversations with Carol. I had some conversations with my sister and my brother that I'd, I really not had before. Okay. We had a very dodgy line. Carol wasn't able to visit me in hospital because of COVID stuff. And so we had this very dodgy phone line. <laughs> um, and particularly when I started to feel well again, it, my communication with everyone was by the, by the phone. And I had to find a place in, my, in the room and it was, often it was difficult, but we, we, we resolved we were going to do it anyhow. But I was so aware of people's, of people wanting me to get better mm. that it became a key source of strength. I, I learned this in the speaking business well. When, when the audience is on your side, it's a magical thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Equally, if they, if they turn on you, it's not so pleasant. I had that happen to me a couple of times, but particularly in the bigger audiences, you know. I remember one time in Singapore where, where you are currently, I addressed a crowd of, of um, over 3,000 people, including, and in the audience were the Prime Minister and Cabinet. And I, I wasn't feeling all that well. I'd flown from London to Singapore and I was going back to London the next day and I wasn't feeling well. I had a colleague with me and he was kind of egging me on. Um, and I, I wasn't in, in a good space physically, but I knew it was in, and I was one of five presenters on this big, big, big stage conference. And I remember being introduced um, and the, the words of this is the moment, which often came to me, particularly if I wasn't feeling well, it was another kind of anchor. And I, I resolved while I was walking from behind the curtains to, to the centre of the stage, I made a resolution that these people have come and so you've got to put aside how you're feeling and give, give it your best shot. Yeah. And, and the moment I said to that crowd, what I say is important, but nowhere near as important as what you hear yourself say to yourself and who you become and what you do next. 3,000 people all moved forward and I knew it was all going to be fine from there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's this, uh, I mean, you call your podcast Collective Wisdom and I think there's a lot of power in the collective. You know, we're not alone. No. And I think the work you're doing is part of that. It's like finding mentors, finding people to support you, encourage you, um, coach you often is is a, a huge part of that you know you you told the story about the guy who came across while you were painting the church and he was the person who got you the the foot in the door if you like without that you know none of this would have happened and no. I think knowing I have a lovely mentor Robin Kramer who Kramer who says to me um nobody got where they are today alone nobody no and it's no. a, it's a it's a good reminder to yeah to to find people who maybe who are a little bit further ahead of you in a journey and they can help you navigate your way but and also then to look back at the people you can help you know once you've reached a certain destination and it's like okay and i can now turn around and be a mentor myself is that that and, gives uh, you a sense of feeling valued i think 
I think it does, and I think it's also that we, you know, we can be we can be mentored by anyone. And you know, I've had some from my daughter of recent times where she's pointed out some things to me that yeah. you know I needed to I needed to do better in. Yeah. And and we probably, you know, through this most recent journey, we've had the space to to do that. Uh, and and I think you know, they say that you know, the master appears when the student is ready. Absolutely, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's true. And you know, I've, I've, um, you know, I'm, I'm not an easy person to get past. Sometimes I can be as stubborn as a mule. Um, you know, I'm pretty firm in my, you know, beliefs about things. Mm. But I've, I've learned recently from uh, one of my clients um, in the UK, who's um, been a client now for a very long time, and we were, we were having a conversation the other night along with a group of people. I run this program called We Need to Talk which is a, a positive experience about having telling stories and having conversation. Mm. And he said something really interesting, and that is that wise leaders hold their beliefs lightly. Yeah, and are willing and to change their a, minds. Yeah. It was a real turning point for me because it's fair to say I've held most of my beliefs strongly. <laughs> and we, I haven't been backward, backward and forward. hangs on to those beliefs. You know, it yeah. wants to be right, but it, it takes something to 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 remain open minded to. And I think that curiosity can often lead you to places where you can have your mind changed. You can see something differently from a different perspective and learn from other people. Yeah, and that's a that's a big thing. I, my mind is not changed easily, but I'm open to persuasion. Mm, absolutely. And, and I, I think I've always been open to persuasion. Sometimes I need a, I need a lot of convincing. I, th I think when we study things, when we're a student of, of things, we, we do get firm in our understanding of things. But the student has to keep reappearing because once we think we know, yeah, we've lost the plot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure to dig into all of this stuff with you. So I'm really intrigued as to, you know, all of your exploration, really, all of your research, the work you do is, is digging into that inner wisdom. So what is the, what's the one piece of wisdom if you were going to add something to the collection that you would choose? I would say that when you look in the mirror, you are seeing a unique one-of-a-kind human being never forget it Re wow. remind yourself remind yourself every day that you're the only one of you who, who ever lived and while you while we're breathing we have an opportunity to be the best version of that one-of-a-kind that we can be and we all mess it up we make mistakes we fall short but at the end of the day we are unique and we just need to remind ourselves continually of, of that uniqueness. Beautiful. Yeah, that's very powerful, actually, and takes us back full circle, really, to that, that first story about looking in the mirror every day and saying, I have an attitude of gratitude and how much that has really helped you throughout the last 44 years of, of dealing with melanoma. Very, very powerful. So I'd just like to say thank you so much for joining me. 
Um, and also just where, where can anyone who is interested in the work you do and maybe joining some of the groups that you run, where can they find you? My, my website is ianberry.biz, that's B-I-Z, so ianberry.biz, and you'll see there that there are, there is, there's really information. I mean, most of the time, people work with me as a referral or by invitation. Right. But um, having said that, if someone goes to the website and, and what they read there resonates, then I'm, I'm very open to a a conversation and what i do for all people is i have a 30-minute conversation with people to see whether you know there's a possibility because mm, mm. i'm not for i'm not for everyone love that yeah and so we and so we have a, a a conversation to see if we're if we are a fit and then we go from there yeah Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks once again for joining me. I know it's been a challenging time for you. I wish you all the very best for a speedy recovery. I know that this attitude of yours is going to help you even more as you're digging into dealing with the side effects of the medication that you're on. And yeah, I just hope that um, 2022 is going to be full of health for you. Thanks so much for joining me, Ian. Well, thank you so much, Kat. I've always believed that our, our best our best time is still ahead of us. Absolutely. And, absolutely. Positivity so, to um, the end. Positivity to the end. Bring it, bring it on. Yeah. Um, we're a long time dead. And so we've got to make the most of, of our opportunities to walk the, walk the earth and, and, and be as good as we can be. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Bye now. What a great conversation that was and a reminder to us all that we are unique and we do all have something really powerful to offer if we just take the time to explore what that might be. Ian's chapter in our book, Enough, Unlock a Life of Abundance Starting Right Where You Are, is a really powerful place to start doing just that. As ever, there'll be links in the show notes for the book and you can find more about it at the website enoughthebook.co. Thanks so much for joining me and have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from. So I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.